Hey guys, this is Tim Powell from the Minerals and Royalties Authority. I recently sat down with Preston Page, president of Dakota Energy, who came back onto the podcast to talk all things Bakken, breaking down the development patterns over the last two decades and what his team's been up to over the last few years, putting together leasehold and pushing the bounds of tier two and tier three acreage. Let's jump into the episode and hear more of what Preston had to say. All right, Preston, welcome back on the podcast. It's been a three, three and a half year hiatus, but glad to have you back. And we're going to talk all things Bakken today. So I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for having me, Tim. You bet. All right. So um, for those who want to hear the full uh, Preston Page backstory, uh, July 2020, I think, was when your episode was posted uh, last. So feel free to check that out. But let's just do a quick one, two minute refresher yourself, Dakota, Everest Energy, and what you've been up to the last three, four years. And then we'll dive into the weeds on the Bakken. Yeah, well, thanks, Tim, for having us. You know, Dakota Energy, we're focused here on the Bakken. Leasehold, minerals, royalties, non-op. You know, since we last spoke in 2020, we've really focused on our mineral acquisitions and, and pushing outward in tier two and tier three areas. And we also, we were working in operations. We've since sold the operations we worked at we're out of non-op today, and uh, we're really focused on putting lease plays together in you know, tier two and tier three expansion areas. So we think the Bakken has a lot of reserves left. Newer results are showing that there's also a lot of expansion. So that's what we've been focusing on. Okay. You know, it's interesting the the pendulum tends to swing, right, on where the opportunity set is and where you should focus your efforts. I think years ago, obviously, it was the unconventional boom and putting together a leasehold so that shale players could get their positions and chess pieces on the table. Then that dried up a little bit. So the folks with land acumen started to do minerals. And I think some of those folks now in the last three, four years have started to do non-op because the non-op space is starting to mature a little bit. And within kind of that minerals non-op sphere, it's swung back to leasehold a little bit. Um, And there's a variety of strategies there, whether it's selling off AFEs and carving up overrides, whether it's it's a flip position or it's participating. Definitely, I think there's, I've heard that more and more of late. So I think you guys are on trend, definitely. And your basin specialist is how I would see you in the Bakken. So I think there's an angle there for sure to be hopefully on the cutting edge of where frontiers are expanding and hopefully providing bolt-ons for the operators, right? Well, and it's been a lot of, you know, 10 years ago, we just sold yellow. I mean, we put yellow on the map, you'd bring it, you'd show, you know, here's our acreage position and that that sold today. We have to sell a lot more data and we have a lot of results that are surrounding, you know, lease positions. So you're going to have, you know, good completions, newer, or newer, longer laterals are definitely ex- expanding the tiers and expanding the potential for the Bakken. So I, I think it would be fun. You're going to put on your professor hat here and give us a little history lesson on the Bakken unconventionally. Yep. You know, from my seat, I talked to a lot of folks. I would say in terms of deal flow, in terms of dollars and amount of players on the Bakken, side, whether it's ground game or kind of upmarket, a majority of them fall in the Permian. And then kind of with where gas prices were the last few years, Haynesville was kind of the number two punch. Eagleford still sees a decent amount of activity. Ground game is a little more difficult than Eagleford for sure. But with tax rolls in Texas, still Eagleford becomes attractive, right, for folks to kind of enter and, and do deals there. 
Anadarko is definitely cool. Appalachia is its own beast, right? You have folks that are kind of up there and they stay there. Hard barrier of entry to, you know, get into Appalachia if you're not already there. And then you have the Bakken, the DJ, and the Powder, and the Rockies. And DJ was super out of favor politically, and now it's kind of swung back. It's very attractive for a lot of folks, which is kind of ironic, in my opinion, to have that much of a change in the last three, four years. Powder has got great rock, but it's it's big and it's complex. And there's not a lot of rigs. And then you have the Bakken, which general vibe I get is there's just not a whole lot left. It's very mature and, you know, it's it's baked, if you may. And so that without really diving in further, that's just kind of the general feedback I hear. And you have a lot more data points and discussion points to kind of bring up to expand upon whether or not that's necessarily 100% true. So over to you, let's start kind of 2005-ish. I'll, I'll hand it over to you to kind of talk about the beginning of what, what now is the, the Bakken play horizontally and, and where it's gone to today. You know, and Tim, and you talk about the Bakken being mature today, and, and we hear that all the time. You know, if you call 6 million acres that have been delineated by 18,000 wells, you know, mature, you know, for uniform production, I, I guess I'll take it. But we'll talk about, we'll go through the steps of where the Bakken got to today and why we think mature probably isn't the right way to look at it. And well count or existing well count, we don't think is the whole way or the, the entire picture. So yeah, we're glad to chat, walk through it with you. All right, Preston. So let's start with 2005, kind of horizontal technology as we know today, that, that's really where it starts to come in from the completion side and, and kind of cracking the nut. And so we have a slide up here in, in YouTube. We'll have different clips uh, of this episode if you're listening to just the audio here. Um, so there's a visual you know, component to this, but why don't you walk through kind of what you were seeing in 2005 and, and we'll kind of go through the evolution over the last few decades. So over to you. Yeah. So, and we're happy to share any of these maps or the PowerPoint we've put together. Um, we give out all this information to anybody that, that's in interested. You're actually looking at a map of the first Bakken development that would have been done in the late 80s. Uh, this would have been the fir first horizontal drilling to take place. And out in the northwestern part of the, the basin in Richland County, Montana, Elm Cooley was the first economic horizontal drilling to take place. Then you move all the way over to the east side in Montreal County, uh, where EOG started to develop the partial field. That was really when the Bakken in North Dakota started to take off. We kind of feel that if partial field, Sandwich field, some of the very best Bakken wells wouldn't have been hit first. We probably wouldn't have seen that huge influx of, of capital coming in. That was an extremely economic time of the Bakken. But you'll notice in McKenzie and McKenzie and Williams County, there's a lot of white space. This is it. This map is at the end of 2010. So we'll go to the next map. And um, you can now see the huge expansion that took place, you know, between that era. I mean, we were running 200 rigs, close to 200 rigs for four years. So have you ever found yourself wandering the halls of Nape, feeling lost in the sea of boots and attendees? And thinking to yourself, where the hell are all the minerals and non-op executives? Well, my friends, worry no more. On February 8th, Nape will be launching their inaugural Minerals and Non-op Hub, which will serve as a dedicated and central location for minerals and non-op executives to network and show deals. For more information, please Google Nape Minerals and Non-op Hub or email exhibit at napexpo.com. What is the rig count today in the Bakken? In the Bakken today is 35. So running 200 rigs for four years and it's 35 today. That's that's incredible. All right. So this is, we're kind of looking at 2010 to 2015. I mean, yep. where are we at in terms of average UURs and you know, I guess just overall kind of takeaways uh, in this this part of the decade? Yeah. So this, you know, this time was kind of that set up the real potential, why we think there's so much potential for expansion today. I mean, a third of the Bakken, over 5,000 wells has been completely 
completed with less than 400 pounds per foot. You know, there's a lot of wells drilled in this era. Uh, EURs were pretty level throughout that, but, you know, three-year lease terms were uh, becoming more common. You know, it took a lot of rigs to, for this to be developed. Now, it, to bring that forward to today, we've got infrastructure, gas gathering, electricity, pads built. You know, it's, an, again, another reason why we think there's more potential for expansion. Okay, and so then moving on now, you know, the next kind of era, if you may, or, or chapter in the book for Bakken is kind of 2015 to 2021. So why don't you talk about, you know, the major differences from the previous five years and 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 what are the main takeaways there and have EORs increased, the spacing changed, you know, over to you. Well, and, and Tim, this last time we spoke was July 2020, and, and we talked about this last five, the previous five years, and, and you brought up a good point and something I thought a lot about was, was it, you know, that expansion profitable? And, you know, through this era, it, it might have been the EURs definitely almost doubled throughout 2015 to 2021. Drilling was highly concentrated in what we'd call you know, tier one Bakken. So it kept it pretty contained through this five years. And well cost came down, but a lot more methodical drilling going on. Yeah. So at, at what stage do you think you know, there's a lot of destruction of capital in this era? You know, 2014, 15, 16, a lot of capital fled the space, a lot of borrowing kind of retracted there for a little bit. And, you know, where do you think there was a bit of a, a correction and, you know, operational behavior and a little more discipline? Has that started yet? Or is that really more of a post COVID phenomenon with the, the whole capital discipline with operators? We kind of feel the Bakken 2015 to 2020 is where in things Things started to become a lot more economic. You know, drilling slowed, costs came down, but really that, oh, I'd say profits over production started post-COVID. You know, hence why we're only 35 rigs. I mean, I've I've been wrong on a lot of on a lot of things, and I definitely am wrong that at $80 oil, we'd only see 35 rigs in the Bakken today. Yeah, no, for sure. Appreciate that that quick overview. I mean, when I think about the mineral space in general, I, I use the baseball innings analogy, and I know you've done that in presentations in the past in the Bakken. So where do you think we're at in the Bakken from an innings perspective? Over to you. I mean, you you said fifth inning. What? Why is the Bakken in the fifth inning? Well, I've been saying a fifth inning for years now, um, and I'll probably be saying it for years to come. But you just look at the development. We're on our way to producing 5 billion barrels of oil. We think those existing wells probably have another 4 billion barrels remaining just from existing PDP. We can easily identify 10,000 locations remaining. You know, say they're 500,000 EUR type wells. That's another 5 billion barrels. So so that's where we we look at it. You know, three, four billion barrels remaining existing production, another five billion easily identifiable NPV thirty plus wells, and that probably that number probably grows over time. You know, it, it's interesting. I mean, you mentioned the remaining production on existing PDP. So my minerals conference that we hosted in Houston last week in the prep for the Permian panels, you know, what does the Permian look like in 2030 or 2035, right? Yeah. And as it as the tier one stuff and starts to get drilled out and the white space starts to shrink and it's a little bit more PDP heavy, what does that mean for the folks who are aggregating positions of scale, who are, you know, looking to chase high teens, low 20 returns, for private equity. Yep. If it's heavily developed, what does that really look like? And so what the conversation ultimately gravitated towards is understanding infill drilling, understanding how, you know, optimization affects, you know, underwriting and then refracts came up. And I yep. am not an expert on refracts, but I believe there's been a fair few in the Bakken. And that becomes interesting on how the PDP game gets played from a minerals buying perspective. But what, what do you see, like in, in terms of the spacing, you know, do you see this 
analogous to the Eagleford and, and where it's really a, an optimization play in a lot of areas going forward? Or what's the, what's the general vibe? Let's focus on the developed part of the Bakken. Yeah. And so on the refract part, we're seeing a lot of great results on refracts. And so North Dakota legislature actually passed a tax holiday for new refracts. So they're harder. it's a little harder to track. But with that tax holiday, I think we'll be able to quickly identify which wells have been refracted. Um, just because, as I said earlier, there's a lot of reserves left around. Depends on the completion design, but there's over a third of the Bakken was completed with less than 400 pounds per foot. So that leaves a lot of understimulated wells out there. As far as mineral buying and you know buying PDP, I don't know anybody that's really done. Oh, that would be cost competitive at that. Um, you know, I think you would find out people's real cost of capital is when you start talking PDP. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, penciling in refracts is a little bit more difficult. But you just don't know the the timing of that. Yeah, no, I I agree. The timing and and really underwriting to it is the biggest black box. But I just when you talk about innings, I think that becomes an inning, right? I think at some point there's an opportunity set there. Whether your your team has refract technical expertise in house, or there's some sort of angle there, or it becomes. You know, it, it just becomes a part of the basin where there's folks doing this and it's disclosed in presentations and it becomes trackable. Um, yep. But, you know, the, the fact that there is tax incentives for it is kind of the first first go of it. And then folks are going to get better and better at it. And and it, it just becomes interesting that you can go in and now it, it's like it's like a mini new well uh, or you're right. You're, you're going in, you're going to get that increase and in, uh, in production. And it's not like buying a declining cash flow stream from day one. So I know something to think about. And then you kind of quoted very briefly here, you you see internally about 10,000 plus well locations left. And so why don't we break down the, you know, how prospective they are from a return perspective? Because yep. reading through your presentation, you think core tier one Bakken wells, what's left can be developed at over 50% IRRs. At, when you expand that out to 10,000 wells and kind of pushing the bounds of tier one and tier two, there's 10,000 wells doing at least 20% IRRs. And so price matters with all that but break me down on how you see the the economics the the economic viability going forward of what's left yeah well we're definitely you know we've we've seen some cost inflation i think that's been a big part of maybe holding back a little bit on on more drilling but costs today are are relatively controlled and we break down and we call tier one tier two and tier three rather generalized but we're showing tier one at you know for a ten thousand foot lateral 65 barrel um 65 barrels a foot EUR would uh, be a P50 well in those those areas. And you look at, again, we go back to the existing well count. You know, the average EUR or our average EUR in tier one Bakken is 450,000 barrels. So that doesn't leave a lot or hasn't pulled a lot of reserves out of the ground. The newer wells are, you know, pushing double that. And you're probably coming in for around oh eight to ten million dollars for a you know ten to fifteen thousand foot lateral. So we're still seeing a lot of AFEs in in that eight million eight million dollar range for a ten thousand foot lateral, and you know nine to ten for a fifteen thousand foot. Okay. So, and this year map too, I'll note. You know that's a year we did that in the beginning of 2022. When we redraw that at the end of the year, there will be a lot less purple. There will be a lot more green. That 1.7 million acres is going to be pushing to you know 2.2 million acres. Just clear well results have shown 50 barrel a foot plus wells can be drilled much wider space or much wider than that existing map hey guys i wanted to take a quick break from the conversation to say thank you to all of our podcast sponsors looking to ramp up deal flow for your minerals and non-op ground game 
Since 2019, the Texas Mineral Company has closed on over 120 deals, totaling $110 million in value, with deal sizes ranging from 50K upwards of $5 million. Whether you're looking for white space, permit, duck, PDP, AFE, or Wellbore-only deals, the Texas Mineral Company has got you covered. For more information on how to source deal flow from the Texas Mineral Company, please email Toby Martinez at Toby at thetexasmineralcompany.com. Over the past 20 years, Riverbend Energy Group has been the definitive leader in the non-op and mineral space, where they are actively acquiring minerals in the Delaware Basin, Midland Basin, the Williston, and the Eagleford. Following their $1.8 billion sale of their non-op platform in 2022, they are also back actively acquiring non-op interests in the Delaware Basin, Midland Basin, and Williston. If you have minerals or non-op working interests in these areas that you would like to sell, then please visit www.riverbendenergygroup.com for more information. Farmers National Company has oil and gas experts located across the country ready to provide you unmatched convenience and service for your land management needs. Whether you're looking for turnkey management of oil and gas interests or simply looking for an advisor to help you sell or lease your minerals, Farmers National Company has you covered. Learn more about Farmers National Company's team of certified mineral managers, landmen, attorneys, and accountants by going to fncenergy.com or reach out directly at energy at farmersnational.com. Does your team ever struggle with employee turnover? What about right-sizing your team to fit your company's needs over time? Do you have the right accounting systems and software in place to maintain control and visibility on all your cost centers? If any of these things are challenges in your business, then Opportune's back office outsourcing could be the right solution. For more information, please visit www.opportune.com. And for those listening, just to kind of give some context to what Press is talking about. So we have a slide up right now. It's a map of tier one, tier two, and tier three. Tier one, kind of the core is is highlighted in red at what, 700 EUR wells, right? 700,000, 650, okay. And then stepping out, tier two, he has highlighted in green at you know 500 MBO EUR wells. And then the peripheral, the tier three is, is highlighted in purple at 350. Your kind of consensus is updating it later this year and going forward, you think that purple shrinks and it becomes more green, i.e. tier two. So you see the tier two expanding. And tier two, when does tier two become economic price-wise, you think? Well, we think all of tier two is is very economic today. 50 barrel a foot wells for 10 or 15,000 foot laterals, we we think is very economic at at $80 oil and probably economic at $60 oil just for our well costs. You know, our well costs are pretty controlled here, especially the infrastructure that we have. You know, it definitely allows, we got good services, rigs, available frat crews, electricity, gas gathering, you know, all of that infrastructure is already already in place. So what what about, are there any discounts or basis blowout? Are there any risks around what what you're getting at the, the wellhead from a pricing perspective? Our discounts have been pretty have been pretty good the last two or three years. You know, we built this massive amount of infrastructure. Was built, you know, pipeline gathering over the last ten or fifteen years. So, you know, we've got with North Dakota production being stable at one point two million barrels a day. We've got enough infrastructure today, but our gas, our GORs are going up. So, our gas gathering is is definitely tight tightening. But as far as differentials to the oil, and you know, we're not seeing uh, it's maybe five dollar differentials. And you know what what's interesting on the gas side with the dynamics of of the West Coast kind of outsourcing their emissions. Gas pricing at certain hubs in California is insane, like 10, 20 
bucks in MCF. But is the Bakken getting any exposure for that, or that's more kind of San Juan peon spacing? I would say our gas pricing is still rather suppressed. So okay. where that gas goes, I'm not sure, but we're not getting a lot of value. We're not getting enough value for our gas in the Bakken. Okay, got it. So you know, I think going back to minerals buying, and you know, what's left is is Bakken somewhere where you can have a ground game where there's still enough running room to put decent capital to work for a fund. You know, on this slide we have up, you you have in your estimation, you know, the amount of locations left. And let's start with that. So tier one, you you think a little over eleven hundred locations left, which in your opinion is about twelve percent of tier one link. Expand upon that because that's yeah. not a lot. That means you know yep. a lot of the, the meat has been eaten off the bone. Yeah. And that would be a very conservative number based off of if you just base those numbers off of should preference this on acres per well, eight wells per twelve eighty, that would be a way of looking at remaining locations. I don't think that's the full story. You know, remaining reserves is probably adds a lot more to it and just putting sticks on the map. But you're right, as far as mineral buying on the ground, we've seen a few teams come here. If you're going to go into tier one areas and be the 575th offer, you know, on someone's minerals, you're going to have to do something pretty special. So I don't, I would, I haven't seen a lot of, you know, funds come here successfully. I mean, we've, we've seen a few come and go, but it kind of continues to be a, a smaller market. The market for putting, you know, more dollars to work seems to be in aggregating other people's packages. And yeah, so that's kind of where if, if you want a velocity of capital, it's, you know, playing the secondary market portfolios that were aggregated over the last decade are starting to mature and whether it's private equity or whatever the the fun life is of those partnerships it's it's time for them to get a liquidity event and and that's really the opportunity set going on the ground it's hard to do something of scales what you're talking about because it is more developed and becomes a cost of capital game and it's not just going out and buying ahead of the drill bit because there's not as much left well and it's a little bit of timing too i mean nothing can kill an irr like time you know you've got 20 rigs today or there's 35 rigs 20 of those rigs are in tier two or tier three areas so that's probably 4 million acres you can narrow down where those rigs are going you know permits respacing op operator specific but it is a little hard to tell where exactly those rigs are going to go and one thing in newer development we would say it's more up spacing than it is down spacing in tier two and tier three areas and it's not so much a wine rack anymore it's more of a wine row so we don't you know see a lot of six or eight well spacing in tier two or tier three areas so um, okay yeah and so and by the way, just for everyone listening, so tier one, you kind of see is like one and a half million acres, right? And then moving on to tier two, you define, you know, 1.75 million acres, and you see about 27% of, of locations being left to drill in the tier two uh, areas, which you define as 500 MBO uh, plus EUR. So kind of spell that out and, and kind of how you see that. Because again, that's it's not a lot either in the tier two areas. Well, and it goes back to, more on acre, acres per well on spacing that you'll see developed. And again, we we keep saying well count isn't quite the exact or the metric that we would use for these areas, but you're right. I mean, it is, I would say it's been more than 50% drilled out throughout, you know, tier two, tier two areas, but that still leaves a lot. I mean, it's a million and a half or 1.7 million acres. What we're showing now, we're definitely going to expand that green to be over 2 million next year. Okay. And then finally tier three, you know, there's 2.65 million acres is what you kind of estimate here some of that is going to be converted into tier two with uh, you know drilling and, and technology efficiencies 
you see about 3,400 locations left, about 41% of tier three left. Yeah. The question for you is how much of that is really, do you think really gets drilled, the tier three stuff? Is it, you said at the beginning of this, I'm surprised we have 35 rigs and oil between 80 and 90 bucks. Uh, I don't understand why there's not more rigs. So yeah. is tier three just these pockets of oil price goes through the roof over a hundred bucks and you start to get tier three slowly but surely developed over time and that's really it and it's just going to be slowly chipped away over a longer period of time well, that's a good question. I would say into 2024, you look at where permits are filed, rigs are rigs are moving, downspacing at the hearing dockets. I mean, it's a lot of tier three acreage and definitely moving outward. I think those areas are going to start to get you know developed, become more developed. How much of that actually gets developed? I would say anything in that purple outline is definitely possible to be developed, probably NPV 30 plus today, but it'll be, it will come after the tier two, you know, development. Got it. Got it. Let's shift it now into where the Bakken is today. Um, so we've kind of talked about the tier one, two, two, tier three, what's left. You're quoting kind of 1.1 million barrels a day of production. The Bakken is a declining basin, would you say? It's yeah. in decline. So how what does it take to keep that production flat? And how long do you think is that sustainable to keep it flat before we start seeing a decline? Yeah, well, that's a really good question. I mean, we're about one... North Dakota side of the Bakken alone, North Dakota as a whole produces 1.2 million barrels, about 150,000 of that or so is, is conventional. But uh, yeah, we're, we're losing about 40,000 barrels of oil per day per month. So we're going having to replace that 40,000 barrels. And that's just like any other any other shale play. Drilling about seven eight to 800 wells per year, 500,000 EUR wells will maintain, perhaps slightly grow that production. That's about what we figure it will take to do that. We're on track to permitting about 800 wells a year is about the direction that we're going. You know, if you based off previous numbers, 80% or so of permits do get spud and we've converted we're converting permits to spud dates very quickly. I think the average last year was 80 85 days. So, yeah, there shows on the map. Yeah, so we have a slide up now which is really around predicting pace of development. And so if you can reiterate those numbers, I think that's interesting. Yeah. That there is a fairly systematic approach to permit to to spud to completion conversion in in your opinion. Is that very different by operator or there's, is it driven by who the service contractor is? I mean, yep. let's break that down a little further. <laughs> well, there's a pretty big standard deviation to that average. I'll preference that and it a little bit by operator, but uh, it just kind of shows how fast things have been converted and efficient the Bakken's become. You can permit a well and three months later spud a well and 180 days after the well spud convert to sales. So a pretty quick conversion. I mean, you can put $8 million in the ground per well and you know see revenue uh, six months later. So I think that kind of shows how efficient the Bakken, the Bakken has become today. And it gives you a little better idea for mineral buying on timing. Once permits hit, you're going to see a faster conversion, faster conversion to sales than you have historically. Yeah. I mean, is there, what's the duck inventory look like? Things are getting converted fairly quickly. I mean, pricing is in a good spot, right? I mean, you, you look at areas like the Haynesville, obviously the duck inventory is growing because of where gas prices have gone. Yep. Um, folks are trying to build up that duck inventory in anticipation of LNG export capacity coming on in a year and a half. Yeah. I don't know if, if there's any type of game there. I mean, what 
What type of pricing do you start to see duck inventory piling up? Is it sub 60? Is it sub 50? What is yeah. that result? I would say today that, you know, I guess it depends on what you f- define as a duck well. And we define it well that's been, I think, over 270 days since bud date. That inventory has definitely come down. Most of the, the drilled uncompleteds have been completed to wells that have been, you know, spud and over 270 days um, since spud date. So that number is, has come down significantly. We haven't seen a lot of every well that's been drilled we think is is going to be converted to sales pretty quickly if prices drop you know, maybe sub 70, you probably see that number start building again. But as of today, everything is going to sales as fast as it can. Which, by the way, uh, just as a, a footnote, I think we all kind of get comfortable with certain numbers from a historical perspective. So I hear sub 70 and I go, oh my God, you know, sub 70, Bakken doesn't, is an expensive basin to become profitable in. But with inflation the last few years, 70 is not what it used to be. Um, yeah. And $100 oil isn't what it used to be, quite frankly. Service costs have gone up. And I think, you know, break evens now, 50, 60, 70 bucks a barrel is is probably what, 30, 40, 50, five, 10 years ago from just a, a pure dollar perspective. I mean, just just wanted to comment on that because that, that's come up in a lot of private conversations. I mean, you can take these headlines on what the break evens are, but you got to bake in inflation because it's, it's just not the same. And I think we're in higher commodity pricing going forward just as a result of, of inflation. And we're not going to see some of those lower prices uh, because of that. Yeah, no, we we definitely agree. Costs, you know, pipe, any, anything from pipe to rig moves have, has, have all gone up. We think today those are relatively controlled. You know, normalized 10,000 foot well, right around $8 million. We're seeing a lot of those come in for about a 10 million pound completion, but um, you know, the costs are definitely higher. So you talk about three mile laterals kind of changing how undeveloped acreage gets drilled out and maybe pushing the bounds of tier two and tier three going forward, how the reserves get produced. What what kind of development patterns and techniques and technologies have you started to see emerge in the Bach in, in recent years? Yeah, well, we um, I think there's been 442 wells that have been drilled over two and a half miles. Most of those are either sur- surface acre or surface issues or going to be drilled in tier two or tier three areas. Drilling that extra mile has really proven up um, to be a more economic for tier two and tier three areas in the Bakken. You know, the savings, you're probably drilling that last mile for anywhere 500,000 to 750,000. Huge savings. So you got savings on rig rates, rig moves, drilling. Completion costs are rel- relatively linear, but uh, you're definitely seeing at least a 35% savings for that extra that extra mile. And we figure it depends on whose numbers you want to take, but that last mile lateral is probably 75 to 80% efficient as far as EUR per lateral foot. So wells have done extremely well. Hey guys, I wanted to take a quick break from the conversation to say thank you to all of our podcast sponsors. Your property is your legacy, so you should only leave it in the hands of a land management company who has a legacy of its own. If you own oil and gas interests or act as a fiduciary for those who do, you can find a long-term partner at Farmers National Company, who since 1929 has taken great pride in helping clients maximize the benefits of property ownership by providing turnkey management services and by working alongside them through generational transfers of specialized assets such as oil and gas interests and farmland. To learn more, visit fncenergy.com or reach out directly at energy at farmersnational.com. Since 2019, the Texas Mineral Company has been a leading ground game broker for minerals and non-op deals, closing over 120 transactions across the Permian, Scoop Stack, Haynesville, Bakken, Powder River Basin, 
DJ, and Eagleford. With deal sizes ranging from 50K upwards of 5 million and 1.5 NRAs upwards of 3,500 NRAs, the Texas Mineral Company can be flexible on where and how they can source your deal flow. For more information on how your team can work with the Texas Mineral Company, please email Toby Martinez at toby at thetexasmineralcompany.com. Scaling up your portfolio while minimizing GNA is the name of the game in the minerals and non-op space. Whether you're a brand new fund, an established team who's growing quickly, or a fully developed portfolio in harvest mode, Opportune's back office outsourcing team can help. Stop worrying about all the headaches that come along with day-to-day accounting and back office operations and contact Opportune today. For more information, please visit www.opportune.com. Over the past 20 years, Riverbend Energy Group has been the definitive leader in the non-op and mineral space, where they are actively acquiring minerals in the Delaware Basin, Midland Basin, the Williston, and the Eagleford. Following their $1.8 billion sale of their non-op platform in 2022, they are also back actively acquiring non-op interests in the Delaware Basin, Midland Basin, and Williston. If you have minerals or non-op working interests in these areas that you would like to sell, then please visit www.riverbendenergygroup.com for more information. That's probably a major driver of going back to the map, the tier two area increasing and eating into tier three, right? It was with technology improvements like that. Okay, awesome. Um, and, and let's let's bring it home. So we're we're talking about kind of the Bakken at the basin level, but yeah, what, what do you think the size of the the minerals and royalties market is in the Bakken? And you know, uh, you have some cool numbers. I'm kind of curious to see where you you estimated these, but kind of estimated royalty payments per month and. Yep. What do you think, you know, what the drilling capital is? Let's kind of look at it from a opportunity set in the market and, and what's out there. Yeah. Well, that's a really interesting question too on the on the Bakken, the size of the market. I don't think people quite understand how big that is. We'd say it's easily a $20 billion market just in the Williston Basin alone. We figure that royalties are pumping out anywhere 200 to $300 million per month in royalty cash flow. What's interesting about that is in our title database, how much of those are North Dakota addresses? At least a third of royalty owners in our database are located in North Dakota. That makes buying more challenging at a high level. Every case is a bit different, right? But people are going to have more of an attachment to it. Do you see any type of macro shifts in you know where people live and, and some of those folks may be moving out of North Dakota and that maybe being a catalyst for minerals shaking loose on, yep. uh, on the buy side? We definitely feel, you know, if it, if it has a North Dakota address, I mean, there are you could offer $100,000 an acre, and I don't think it makes a difference for a lot of people. But uh, it, things are, are becoming, minerals are held now, and every year that number keeps getting split more and more and more. I mean, we look at we look at every mineral deed recorded in the Williston, in Williston Basin, and predominantly it's just getting severed family to family. I want to say 40% of our database owns less than 20 net acres. We have title on a little over 700,000 acres. So it's already a pretty broken up market. We think that'll... That'll likely continue. So that could be the opportunity for aggregation moving forward. I mean, it does just get severed and or keep getting severed.
word. Yeah, and I've talked about it you know, multiple times in recent episodes. Just the generational wealth transfer is is going to lead to more severing and fragmentation, and and create opportunities for the ground game. So you know, it's interesting. You talk about that fragmentation that sets up well for a ground game, but you were saying really opportunity to put money to work is is in consolidating portfolios. Do you think if you're deploying one to five million dollars a year, Bach and ground game can still be very productive and Darko's like that, quite frankly. It's hard to put more money to work than that per year on a ground game. Uh, and it's very, very fragmented. So yeah. ground game works very, very well in Anadarko, but there isn't the secondary market yet. And the driver in Anadarko is really the technical reset. And I think the bid-ask spread, and you talked about timing really screwing up with IRs. I think you see a lot of that with the folks who consolidate. So yeah. a lot of that stuff is starting to mature. And there have been some deals this year in the Anadarko of size, but still far and few between in comparison the Eagleford and Haynesville and, and Permian. Why um why don't we see more larger deals in the Bakken? Do you think pace of development is slower and folks need time? Or well, what are the dynamics there in the secondary market? Well, I would say part of it is, is that it is a pretty mature play. I mean, it's been developed you know for over 20 years now. Um, so it's not new. Owners have received a lot of offers. If you own it today, you're probably going to own the minerals tomorrow. You know, that would probably be part of it and why a, a ground game might be more challenging. There are other funds on the secondary market that have put, you know, sizable packages together. And we don't see, we haven't seen a lot of, um, you know, sizable deals come to market. I'm not sure if it's more of a holding holding pattern or what's going on there. But we usually feel a seller is someone who has minerals. It's either on the upper or lower court quartile of their balance sheet, you know, very high to their balance sheet or it's on the lower end. As far as buying on the ground game, it's probably going to be somebody on the lower end who has, you know, 10 acres here, there, 20 acres. And, you know, it's, they've decided they don't want to divide it up again, or it's another company who's bought it. A lot of examples there. Okay. And, and then tying it back to what you guys were focused on, why, um, why focus on putting leasehold together? And I know you guys have, you're very technically driven. And so you're putting it together in kind of tier two, tier three areas. You see behavioral patterns from operators to where you think this is a good place to be is putting together, you know, little delineated acreage plays for them to, to, to buy. I mean, what what's the strategy internally in your boardroom? Well, we've we've been putting together a small number of little plays, three to ten thousand acres, whether it's a starter kit for somebody new in the Bakken or so far it's turned out to be more of an expansion potential for existing operators. We just look at the well results of older completion technology, you know, in the area. We spend a lot of time working on, you know, good presentations, geology, and trying to find as delineated of positions as we can. And we we feel that's risk adjusted, a, a good place to put capital. But we're really we're really hoping to be able to get push more development into tier two and tier three areas. And you know, a way for us to do that is you know, have positions, turnkey positions that somebody can come in and say, okay, we could add you know a half dozen you know nineteen twenty acre spacing units here, or bolt on some more acreage. So and strategically, are you guys looking at going along for the ride and participating in development as non-op? Are you keeping the royalty position or an override, or, or are you just putting these leasehold positions? Again? Together and and turning them and and then taking those proceeds and doing it again. What what's the model for those listening who may be playing in this yeah. sandbox and and might be interested in collaborating? Yeah, well, so far our our goals have been to keep you know keep a position more as a non-op position so we could uh, you know follow the development a little closer. Uh, none of that has materialized quite yet, but we have kept you know a portion of of all the leases that we have put together and of what we have sold. We still own 
you know, a number of these positions. So we, we'd be happy to talk to anybody about those. But uh, yeah, that our goal would be is to take part of the part of the development as a you know small minority owner. Okay. Yeah, and you mentioned kind of the thesis is a starter kit or an expansion play for an existing company. Uh, you know, I think we're in an interesting uh, period right now for upstream. You're starting to see a lot of major consolidation. You know, in the Permian, there's been some marquee deals announced um, first in the several billion dollar range with. You know, Permian Resources, for example, but then the $60 billion deal with XTO and, and Pioneer. Yep. I saw a Reuters article this morning. I think Devin's looking at buying CrownQuest and someone else. So there seems to be uh, this, this sentiment in the market where it's basins are starting to come into manufacturing mode. Um, yep. and, and the big guys with, with the giant balance sheets a little more cost control with service companies are going to start taking these positions and developing them out. Now, when I look at the Rockies, a lot of the teams are based in Denver, right? Not all of them, yep. but a lot of them. And so when you start to see this mass consolidation, you know, someone has a life and you know a house and kids are going to school and they say, well, you know, we, we built this company, we've done well, we don't really want to move to Houston or Midland or wherever it may be. So we're going to stay here. And so do you see, I don't know if it's in the next year or maybe in the next five years, is there a wave of small um, startups that kind of pop back up? Because that's the daisy chain and the the cycle of, of A&D. You get a bunch of little guys kind of start up and something gets unloved by one of these big companies. It gets divested out. They prove it up, sell it back to the guys and um, and around and around you go. But it seems now we're really in the, the large-scale aggregation phase and it's not the time for the little guys. And so curious yeah. from a Bakken perspective, if it's similar to other basins or there's a little bit different dynamic going on? Well, we definitely are watching that market and wondering, you know, what teams shake out um, from all of this consolidation that that we've seen and what happens with the assets up here in the, in the Bakken, um, you know, consolidation, we think, has got benefits, uh, a lot of benefits to it for cost control. And we also hope to see, you know, newer teams come up and, you know, start pushing, pushing the boundaries a little bit. And that's our thesis was on our lease plays is probably not a company maker size. I mean, we don't see that um, those major size positions, but it gets started at, as you start to see more um, operators, perhaps some of those names you mentioned, maybe divest or, you know, consolidate. I think you're going to see a lot more, a lot more opportunities and it's going to create a much longer lived Bakken um, and shale play across the board. So, yeah, uh, again, going back to this Permian panel we had at my minerals conference, you know, one of the things was one of the comments I, I think Casey Stallings at Desert Royalty brought up was, well, if you have the Permian shrinking uh, and there's not as much opportunity there, you're going to see the operating IP of some of these management teams start to migrate to other areas. And yep. so, in in a vacuum, if you just say, well, you know, the most amount of money you can deploy is the Permian and the, mo the most prospectivity from benches is the Permian. And yep. so that's where a lot of the, the best operators are. Now, if that starts to go away, they're going to go somewhere else to get the same returns for their management team. And so maybe areas like the Bakken and others start to get different kind, you know, it's all ingenuity and innovation at the end of the day, it's people driving it. And so maybe so, some different kind of expertise starts to re-enter the Bakken in a different way. And you see a rebirth and the fifth inning becomes the fifth inning and still in five years, maybe it, it goes up to the sixth or seventh inning and back, right? Yep. Um, and so 
We'll see. I think your example of talking about, you know, three mile laterals and just the increased efficiencies is, is an example of that, you know, and, and how you kind of stretch the the potential of the basin. But yeah, uh, just any closing comments on that. And then I think we'll wrap up the episode. Yeah, well, we sure do appreciate it, Tim. And um, the innovation, I mean, the, the oil and gas industry and shale industry is probably one of the most capitalistic markets out there. Like you said, things go up, things come down, teams get split up. You know, there's going to be continual innovation expanding. And I mean, we can just point to so many examples in the Bakken that expand the Bakken shale, but also for more infill drilling. We're seeing results in in tighter infill units that, you know, are 50% better than, you know, the old parent parent wells that were drilled. So we think that also adds to the to the picture. And so innings is hard to quantify. Existing well well count is only part part of the picture. But we're you know pretty bullish on the Bakken. We think that's the the safest place play. We we keep waiting or hearing, you know, new people from the Powder River, from the DJ that you know have regulatory issues. We're looking up here in, into the Williston, we'd love to see more of those those folks up here. You know, we've got a very stable regulatory environment with the North Dakota Industrial Commission. North Dakota Petroleum Council does a, does a great job for ad, advocating for the industry. And we're also estimating by, I was going to, one thing I had note, by May 2024, with the Williston Basin Petroleum Conference, we're forecasting we're going to have 5 billion barrels of, of production. So it's going to be a big, big milestone for the basin. And we got a lot of, there's a lot of running room that for sure. Awesome. Well, Preston, thanks for coming on. I, I speak to a lot of people. You're my Bakken guy. You're wealth of knowledge. You're passionate about the base. You want to see it developed. You're local. Um, and so I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your insight and preparing all the data and, and the discussion points to not speak in generalities, but uh, specificities and, and really bring some value to the audience. So I appreciate it and encourage anyone out there who finds some of the stuff Preston was talking about uh, to reach out to Preston. If you don't have his info, I can connect you directly. And and also, if there's a way to work together on the, the leasehold and the minerals front, um, I hope folks will reach out to you. So again, thanks for coming on, Preston, and look forward to catching up in person soon. Yeah, thanks, Tim. We we appreciate all that you do as well and, and bringing more content. And I think that's just, it's good for the industry, more content. It helps the industry, it helps mineral owners, everyone involved. And so we really appreciate all that you do. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Preston. Thanks, Tim. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed The Minerals and Royalties podcast is meant for informational purposes only. Tim Powell and the Minerals and Royalties Authority are not promoting any specific securities or investments, nor are they providing any type of investment advice. If you enjoyed the episode, then I encourage you to tune in more and also check out the Minerals and Royalties Authority YouTube channel. Thanks and see you next time.